often. Faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Hey friends, great to be with you today. My name is Matt Kinzera, host of the Chasing Goodness podcast. A little while back, I was doing some production work, some co-hosting work for another podcast that I work on called The Solarized Files with Spencer Burke. And we interviewed a woman, her name is Ann Evans from Ashoka. Had this amazing conversation, literally about everything we stand for in Chasing Goodness, about how Ashoka is doing incredible work with social entrepreneurship and now is moving into this new realm of faith-based social entrepreneurship. And during the entire conversation, all I could think is like, this is all we talk about on Chasing Goodness. And so I reached back out to Anne just a little while ago. I said, Anne, that conversation was so meaningful. What are the odds that you'd let me share it on the Chasing Goodness podcast? She was excited about it. And so here we go. We are going to get to hear uh, that interview on this podcast because it was just that good. So we're going to talk all about social entrepreneurship, specifically about faith-based social entrepreneurship, literally how we can use our faith to make a huge difference in this world. So without further ado, enjoy Ann Evans from Ashoka. I am so excited to have our guest today, Ann Evans, with me. And this is going to be a great conversation about, I'm sure, about all sorts of things. But before we get the conversation going, Ann, do you mind just sharing a little bit of background about yourself? Give the listeners a little 30,000-foot view of who Ann Evans is. Well, yes, I grew up in rural North Carolina, so you'll note that a little bit in my accent. And I am a lifelong Presbyterian. (laughs) And I came to an organization through a circuitous route, an organization called Ashoka, when I got uh, interested in social change in around 2000. And then I was working in an organization that I founded with some friends that was providing education for young children in Kenya. And out of that came my interest in getting up at the systems level and trying to understand, like, how do we actually change massive you know, the system of something that doesn't seem to be working. And got into Ashoka, where really Ashoka is the organization that put the word social entrepreneur together. And our founder, Bill Drayton, coined that phrase early on in in Ashoka's history, which is now a 40-year history. Uh, We go around the world and we identify leading social entrepreneurs. And they're, for us, those people who have a new idea for changing a, a system at continental or even larger scale. So these are in all kinds of fields, every possible thing you could imagine, from civic engagement to health to technology to justice issues around homelessness and race and you name it. So uh, these are leading social entrepreneurs in every country. We have 95 countries represented among the Ashoka Fellows, about 4,500 of them around the world. So it's really an amazing group. And from them, we just learn a ton about how do you actually make 
change happen in the world, particularly systemic change. And so I'm living in that kind of a space. It's really exciting. And I got into the work in the faith field, uh, really to try to find my own sense of wholeness, because I was doing this work in social change. I was doing it because of my faith. Nobody really knew that. But I decided to come clean and uh, be out there with it. And it was out of that that I stepped into uh, this place and said, you know, Ashoka is a secular organization, but we also espouse values that are very much the same values that every faith around the world espouses, which is basically that everyone is precious, everyone is powerful, everyone's deserving of love and respect. And given that, everyone can be a change maker. So we need to approach every single person we meet as though they have that capability in them. And if you do that, it really, really changes how you deal with other people. And we've watched Ashoka fellows all over the world put people in new roles that they never even imagined. You know, there's a, a wonderful guy in San Jose, California named Raj Jayadev, who I always, I love as an example. He found that the families of people who were in trouble with the justice system, with with just a legal aid person to defend them, could be a powerful force for telling a story about how that person was contributing to society and therefore get the court system to see that person as a whole person. And out of doing that, he's created a whole movement around participative justice that empowers people who felt previously powerless to do something. So that's an example of what I mean when I say everyone a change maker. This concept has really been inspiring to me. So it's a large part of who I am these days. We talk a lot and we, we're starting to hear a lot, although Ashoka has been around, as you mentioned, for about 40 years. The phrase social entrepreneurship has become a buzzword maybe in the last, I would say, 10 years, maybe not even that many. So for those who are listening who obviously have heard that, have heard social entrepreneurship before, just to make sure we're all on the same page. When you say that, give us a definition of what you mean by social entrepreneurship. Okay. Well, we all know that a business entrepreneur is, let's just draw the contrast for a minute. You know, a business entrepreneur is coming up with a new idea that society needs. You know, it's a, it's, it's a great new tool. It's a great new system. It's a great new process, but they want to make money with it. That's their goal. That's their driving goal is they hope to build a business, grow it, and sell it to somebody so that they become wealthy. They, the founder, become wealthy. And so they may, you know, want to also see this change for society because it's good and it excites them and they're into it. But there is this underlying element of what money can I make on it that is very, very different from the social entrepreneur. So the social entrepreneur is someone who really is working because often because of a personal experience that's happened or something they've observed directly in their in their life that isn't working for the good of everyone and because of where they are and who they are and what they're driven by the spirit i think to do whether they acknowledge it as a spirit sort of thing or not they step into a role of solving the problem And they take the system that is creating that problem and they take it apart and they look at the pieces and they rebuild it 
changing the roles, changing the structure, changing some key element of that system to really come up with a solution. And so they are motivated, and this is the key difference versus the business entrepreneur. Their motivation is to solve the problem for the good of everyone. It's not about them, though motivation may be driven by personal experience. Motivation can be driven by anger and at injustice. I mean, anger is a very powerful thing, but um, when someone has personally experienced it, that deep empathy that they can have for other people in this situation is really what's at the core of it. Because to keep yourself going on battling a problem that's been in society for a long, long time, it takes a deep well of empathy and a sense of this is mine to solve. And so we see that in the social entrepreneurs that Ashoka gathers in the world. We see a, a real commitment that this is my life's work to make this problem go away. And they will stop at nothing. You know, we, we see, you know, brick walls and everything. They're climbing over, they're going around, whatever it takes, they'll do it. That's a very different set of motivations, I think. And that's where the, really where the core difference is between business entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs. Now at Solarize, we talk a lot about a more humane spirituality. That's kind of the theme this yeah. year. And that's why I love, you know, this concept that, that you're taking even a faith aspect to social entrepreneurship, which is a really exciting thing as well. As you had mentioned, even though the organization is secular for you, it's very much a, a something that's deeply spiritual for you as well. This, this work that you do. So share a little bit about why that seems to be a connection for you. Yeah. Well, I was, I was sitting in a business meeting at Ashoka in a staff meeting and Bill Drayton said, uh, and this was like maybe my third or fourth week on the job. And Bill Drayton said, you know, change-making is love and respect put into action. And I said, oh my gosh, am I actually sitting in a business meeting and somebody's talking about love? And so I just pinched myself. I said, I am, I am so in the right place. Because for me, when I find dissonance in my life, love was not the motivating root of my work. And so where I can find this sense of wholeness and consonance in the parts of my life is when love and being able to express that for others is at the center. And so for me, I think that's really what this is, is about uh, on a personal level. And then I also appreciate what Ashoka brings to it, which is this deep appreciation for the, for the abilities of every person and for the sort of power that every person can have. And I find that to be sort of the deepest manifestation of love, as well as the deepest manifestation of respect. Hmm. And I, and when you put those two together, that's really important to me. Yeah. It's into, like, I'm thinking in my mind right now, when you describe the difference between social entrepreneurship and just normal business entrepreneurship, the motivation is what's different ultimately. And when I think about even your you know, discussion about why your faith leads you to desire love in this world and love for humanity as a whole. So many times that's where it seems like our faith gets things messed up as well as if our motivation is incorrect, whether that be get enough money in the offering plate or get enough, you know, butts in the seats, whatever it is right, From, right. in anywhere in life, whether you're talking about faith, business or family or anything else, you know, it's so important that our motivation is, is 
correct or our motivation is humane or our motivation is love. That, that's sort of really what it boils down to. It's where that motivation is. Now you'd mentioned you, you'd use the phrase, everyone, a change maker, right? Did mm-hmm. I say that correctly? Yes. I think, yeah. I think in the midst of so much challenge in our world, especially recently, and we could go through a million different justice causes or justice issues that we have in our world. I think a lot of people feel like they can't be a change maker because the problems seem too big. But what I am really excited about in just the short conversations that we've been having even this morning about Ashoka is you are proving that it indeed is the every person. It's the normal human being in their normal life Mm -hmm. using what they have and what their reality is to actually be the change maker in that situation, because it's very difficult to be a change maker if you're on the outside looking in, but if you can be on the inside, understanding the nuances of the problem seems Mm -hmm. to me like you have the most opportunity to be the change maker. So if you don't mind, share maybe some even examples of where you're seeing that. I know you mentioned one from the justice system, but, but share an example or two of where you're seeing just normal people seeing a problem and being the change maker. Yeah, absolutely. So there's this fabulous pastor in uh, Asheville who had worked with the homeless population there and is doing a lot of outreach work with some of the churches she had been attached to. And I read a story about her work. And during COVID, she was concerned about the homeless population and how they were going to get word on how to keep themselves safe and healthy when they really do not trust a lot of people. It's just a, it, it, you know, they're looked down on, people don't even see them, uh, really engage with them directly. Um, they just wish they would go away. Uh, and that kind of uh, approach is taken with, with the homeless so often. And so what she did is she empowered them to help themselves. And so she provided information and training so that a homeless medic corps could be created by homeless people themselves. So homeless people talking to homeless people about how to be safe, how to get tested, how to get vaccines, uh, how to use masks properly and sanitizer and the things that you know were available to them or how to get them if they weren't available to them. And so she respected the people who were homeless and knew that there were people among that group that would have the skills to be able to provide basic medic type services. And she just gave them the information and a little bit of training. And they organized cores that went around the city and provided these services. And, you know, that's a fabulous example of trusting that that person is capable of expressing love and respect in action too and seeing their assets instead of just their liabilities and challenges. One of the biggest problems that I see that we have in kind of this, this help space, I'll call it, or this missional space Mm -hmm. is that sometimes it feels like it's all of the well-to-do high functioning people that come and it's, it's like the savior complex, right? Yeah. So kind of a, a little bit paternalistic. Yeah, maybe even more than a little bit, but, (laughs) and then, but the, this concept that you just mentioned, it takes all of that out of the picture because it's actually resourcing and, you know, helping that community do what they need to do because they understand what they need. A homeless person is going to understand better what they need 
compared to a person like me who has a mortgage. The people who are engaged in the problem themselves know it best. They're the experts on it. And so what does it mean in that context then to be a good companion or ally? I would love for, you know, our faith communities to think of their outreach work that way, you know, not as serving, but as supporting. You know, what if we made just that shift from Mm. serving to supporting? It would be just so profound in terms of how we would rethink the way we're doing outreach. And so, you know, I've begun to think about this question of what are the shifts that we need to make? There are some congregations that focus just on inner work, you know, what the pastor is focused on and what the the system of the church and the committees and the small group programs and so forth are all focused on is helping people through their inner journey. And it's not that that's not important because you've got to be ready, comfortable with your inner self to step into these outer roles. But what if we shifted from just mostly focused on inner work to focusing on inner work for outer action. What a profound difference that would be. And we would measure things very differently, you know? If we went to that kind of an approach and we we really cared about what are the outer actions that our congregants are able to do because of the strength that they got from being part of our community, you know, the old adage of butts, bucks, and buildings, right? As the three things that we measure in faith would go by the wayside because what does that matter? The building is only as important as the use to which it's put. What are some of the the main spaces that Ashoka finds itself in or that you personally are are seen as exciting spaces that, that are starting to open up and you're seeing new ideas and new concepts? Yeah, well, we, uh, we took a, an interesting path last year with the support of an organization called the Trinity Wall Street Philanthropies. And we organized what we called a master class for faith-inspired change makers. And uh, our goal was, and it was worldwide, although it was in English, I have to say, so it, it was only available to people worldwide who speak English and whose time zone could, you know, could stand it. So we conducted that uh, in the middle of the day, Eastern time. And uh, that was early for California and very, very late for the Philippines, which I, I think is about the widest span of uh, time zones that we covered. We had 12 people participating from the Philippines and, and, a, and a good number from California. And we, we got 140 applications when we put out the word. We, we sort of said, are you a faith-inspired changemaker? And if so, please come with us and we'll help you understand what Ashoka has been learning about change and the process of making change happen. Uh, we understand you're, you're geared toward that and you, each of you has an idea that you want to see change. And it was everything from people who want to change the nature of chaplaincy to make it more open so that it's in the coffee shop and on the sidewalk to um, people who are looking at women's identity in Africa, uh, trying to, to get to the place where women see themselves not just as somebody's mother or somebody's wife, but as a person whole in and of herself. Uh, so all kinds of interesting things were put forward. We had 140 people apply. We took 70 of them and 70 of them completed this masterclass. And it was a fantastic experience because we opened it to every faith. We basically said, if you believe in love and respect in action for the good of all, that's Ashoka's values. If you're comfortable with that, please come with us on this journey. 
And we shared with them how we think about this notion that you and I've been talking so much about, about everyone a change maker. And we talked about how that leads you into a new way of thinking about the, the agency of young people. You know, who do we not see in our society, the very young and the very old? So, you know, for Ashoka, doing it with young people has been a very big thing. And now we also have a, a new initiative on the new longevity. What does it mean to be an elder in our society today? And what kind of amazing roles can elders play? We're looking at these issues. And so it takes me into these kinds of interesting spaces. And very excited now that we're actually going to be doing master classes in Indonesia and in the Philippines directly, and in the Spanish language and in the Portuguese language. So this year, we're going to be putting out the word and anyone listening who wants to take advantage of that, keep an eye on it. We'll be letting the world know when we're ready to launch those. Um, but we're going to do it even bigger because we, th we think that this helps people step into a community of faith inspired people that is cross faith. I mean, we had Sikhs, we had Jewish people, we had Muslims, we had Christians of every flavor. We had, you name it. It was a beautiful experience, and everybody brought to that a sense of love and respect for each other and their tradition. Uh, music to my heart, just listening to you share about it. Two things that like stick out to me is that, you know, in order for this change to be, I think, true and meaningful, we do have to cross all sorts of faith boundaries. I think we need to be working together more across faith mm -hmm. boundaries. And then you identified too, we need to be working together across kind of demographic boundaries or even age boundaries. I realized this in my life a few years ago. And so now about every other week, there's a group of three of us that get together. And one of them's a guy in his late twenties. The other one's me, I'm 45. And then the other one's a gentleman who's around 70. And we just get together to get together. And it's just a wonderful conversation because most of my life I've been in conversations mostly with people around my age and mm. in my general faith categories and things like that. But boy, yeah. the rich nature of conversation and ideas and possibilities when you allow yourself to cross those boundaries is just, it's earth shattering. So it's, it's really yeah. exciting. Yeah. And you know, the faith communities are one of the few intergenerational spaces we have in our society. If we lose that, it's going to be a huge loss for society. I love this quote by Howard Thurman. I keep it right here on my desk all the time because it guides me. And he said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. It's a wonderful, wonderful quote because it speaks to this thing that if we, if we address people in their wholeness, if we engage their spirit and their heart, their capabilities and, and experiences and their hopes and their ideas. Those three quadrants. If we imagine the Venn diagram and those three things meet in the center. In the center of that, where those three things come together is the spark that can ignite someone as a change maker, as a person who sees with empathy the problems around them and they figure out which one has their particular name on it. And not every problem has everybody's name on it. And I think this, this troubles a lot of people because they think, oh, I need to be working on this or I need to be working on that. It really is more important in my opinion and from the, the experiences I've had through Ashoka over the last now almost 11 years um, is really that we have got to 
we've got to really focus on each individual and what they bring to the party and understand them in their fullest identity. And so one of the things that was very powerful learning for me after this experience of the masterclass last year was that people were really empowered by being seen as both a person of faith and a change maker. And they had not had a place to be recognized fully as such before. That was one of the things that I think was very powerful about it. As we bring this home, I just want to just reiterate everything Anne said. Simply that our faith should, I believe, it should really lead us to do good things in this world. I think that's what Jesus stood for, right? Jesus stood for doing meaningful, loving, kind, amazing things in this world. And if we're going to follow that, Jesus, we should do the same. But that applies to any faith or any religion that you may be a part of. And so, again, just whatever it is that we believe, if it really means anything, I think I think our lives and what we stand for and how we use that should make a huge difference in this world. And I think this is in so many ways like why I hang on to my faith is because there's people like Anne in this world and all of the people that Ashoka is supporting. I just believe that if faith is the underlying thing that leads us toward goodness, I think the possibility for true world change is astronomical. There's been so many times when I've wanted to give up on my faith or give up on Christianity, but I think that is the piece that keeps me hanging on and keeps me optimistic toward the future. Whatever it is that you believe, use that as a catalyst to be a change maker in this world. Special thanks to Ann Evans for joining us today. If you want to know more about Ashoka, just go to ashoka.org. That's A-S-H-O-K-A dot org. Of course, you can find me on social media. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook. Just look up Matt Kinzera. That last name is K-E-N-D-Z-I-E-R-A. And as always, please subscribe to this podcast. Give it a five-star rating and write a review. And until next time, let's keep chasing goodness together. Together.